We welcome your ears. We welcome your ears. We welcome your ears. I don't know that there is a way now other than something more drastic, which is not about so much trying to get you there in a logical way, but getting you there by means of not giving you too many alternatives so that you have to rethink what you're doing. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. Just get back to those basics, understanding that we function better together than we do apart. Yeah, I think that's important. Then the other part of it is to somehow address the way that we communicate with each other, because that's another aspect that has decayed and fallen apart in many cases, where two people can be talking and they're talking at each other, not to each other. They're not listening to each other. You're listening to The Sill Podcast with Peter Noche and Harry Posner. Episode 188. Living in Spiritual Limbo. Getting Beyond the Disheartened Self. Come on in, have a seat. Join the conversation. Hi, Harry. Hi, Peter. How are you doing today? Not 100%. As you know, I contracted COVID a few days ago. And you before me, and you're still not feeling 100% either. So here we are today. We're going to make an effort to get uh, through this podcast (laughs) on half cylinders, I guess you would say. Yeah, I mean, I'm mostly through it. It's been a three-week process for me. Still have a tiny bit of congestion left in my upper respiratory system, but it's not really hampering me at this point. So I'm basically through it, thank goodness. And my immune system held up. (laughs) And yours seems to be doing the same, I understand. Yeah, the usual stuff, uh, vitamin C, D, zinc, some propolis. I did undergo a period, I must say, the first day I had a massive headache for seven or eight hours, and it was tough to resist any kind of medication, but I managed to and eventually passed and got through it. But I really had to go inward to uh, get through that. But beyond that, like right now, as we're speaking, I'm actually feeling fluctuations in my temperature. Uh How would you describe your mental state through this period? I've been thinking a lot about people that I've known over the years, especially the elderly. I've become much more tuned in to time. And we did the last two podcasts on aging and getting older. And this COVID hit me right at the end of those two podcasts. And I've been thinking a lot about people and how they dealt with things. And I think in in some ways it's given me a lot to think about as I'm having this time and heal myself. So I've just tried to accept what's happening. And mentally, I think this is going to give me even a greater appreciation than I already had for many things that I routinely take for granted. So for the last two and a half to three years now, people have been dealing either with the virus directly, as in catching it, Mm -hmm. or trying to push it away through natural means or through vaccination or what have you. But all through these last few years, I've noticed that psychologically people have become somewhat depressed. I would have to say disheartened. Uh, That sort of feeling has been in the air 
amongst the people that I know and within myself as well. I've been watching that in myself, this kind of low-grade depression that has been hanging around for a few years now. And I'm wondering whether you think that's a general state of people. Was there this malaise going on where people feel this unease and this sense of dread coming? Yes, I do. Uh, at least that's been my experience with people I've talked to. And I guess in a way I've experienced it to some degree as well. The malaise in a literal sense I'm experiencing the last few days, a strictly physical malaise, which, as you know, when you're not feeling well, it's easier to go to the dark side because you don't have the normal energy or the ability to overcome. But interesting thing for me, though, is that it puts me in another mode in that it makes me stop resisting. Just accept it and don't fight it. You, you just got to work through it. Mm -hmm. Well, I think for most people, this virus hits them hard in the first few days, which it did to me. I, I mean, I was basically a useless pile of uh, cow dung <laughs> for the first, <laughs> first couple of days. I could barely lift my head. I was so exhausted and just depressed in a way, physically depressed. Mm. And then the energy back and forth with the energy and taking naps in the afternoon to get my energy back. And it's been a, a fairly long ride. I mean, some people have had it longer than I have, but it certainly feels disheartening when you're two to three weeks into it and you're still ill, you're still not 100%. And you think, is my immune system okay? Is it the strangeness of this virus? Do I have to just accept that? What do I do with this time where uh, I can't really do my normal things? Mm -hmm. So as you say, it makes you turn inward and reflective. And I think that's partly why the theme of this podcast is about finding meaning in a way in a world that seems so loosey-goosey and uncertain and anxiety-filled. Where do we find meaning? How do we know when meaning pops up in our lives? Those are the kinds of questions I'd like to ask. Well, anxiety, that's a big one because I think that is something that has been dominating our culture in many ways. I mean, we've noticed it perhaps more significantly in the last two or three years, but I think technology before COVID and now the two of them together has kind of accentuated and exacerbated all of that, the levels of anxiety. Right. Now, there's a famous Danish philosopher named Soren Kierkegaard who spent a lot of time thinking and writing about this very subject of anxiety or angst, as it's sometimes understood. And he said something very interesting. He wrote, anxiety is the dizziness of freedom. And what he meant was that a human being, when placed in their life, has so many possible futures, so many possible choices that will take them down different roads. And it's impossible to know where those roads will ultimately lead. And that creates a kind of uncertainty in our decision-making and what we think will happen and creates a kind of underlying consistent anxiety about living itself. Because life can be taken away from you at any moment. We know that. It happens mm -hmm. all the time. And so Soren Kierkegaard was saying that all of these distractions, taking vacations, gambling, sexuality, over the top, what have you, that all of these things are just distractions from dealing with the underlying anxiety. And his solution was for people to find their passion. 
And by that, he didn't mean something given to you from outside that you could follow, like, I don't know, NFL football, get passionate about that, but about your own idea, something unique to you that you could then latch onto and put all of your heart and soul and your passion into it. And for him, that would be the antidote to having this constant anxiety about the uncertainty of life, that you can release that anxiety into a passion for something and that that will calm the waters, so to speak. I've been giving a lot of thought to not just the COVID itself, but all these things that I'm thinking about. What makes things more difficult is the distances and the spaces between people. It's not about whether or not anyone can help you sometimes. There are things that you can only go through yourself. But there's a certain comfort in knowing that people are close by, even if they can't do anything. And we're not close by. Everything is hours away. Or, as you say, there's a disconnect. There's a lack of community. Yeah. Partially by circumstance and partially by design, because this is the world that we've created. Yeah, yeah. I spoke to my cousin today who just came back from Portugal. So she mentioned to me, she was describing how lovely the time was in Portugal and having explored the Algarve and Lisbon and a few other places. And she mentioned to me about going into the city of Lisbon after having gone through the countryside in these small towns of 500 or 1,000 people, whatever the numbers were, and she couldn't wait to leave the city, as beautiful as it was. She wanted to get back to the smaller communities, just being face to face with the local people and being part of that. Yeah. And vibing off the connection that they had, whatever the circumstance, whether it was to buy a bag of figs or to exchange a few words. <laughs> it was that approachability. It was that immediate connection, not the anonymity or the fragmentation that you feel when you're immersed in a large environment without any direct connections. Yeah, strange how in a city, people are crammed together, but feel more apart than in the countryside when people are more far apart, but feel closer together in, in some ways. So, but see, that's what I was going through and still am in some ways, because I live in the country and having just moved here to Nova Scotia three and a half months ago, my spouse and I are working almost 24-7 on the house, in the house, on the property, building a barn, getting horses cared for, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I haven't had any time to actually go out and explore the community and meet people, make friends, and that sort of thing. And I think that's part of the listlessness I've been feeling and that sort of underlying malaise that I've been carrying with me for the last while. I'm the kind of person that needs to get out into the community, dial into the culture that's here, and at some point contribute to it, be creative inside of it. And so when you can't do that, for whatever reason, you become spiritually disheartened in some ways. When you have something that you're having difficulty with, what's your first course of action? Do you seek to be soothed immediately? Or do you ponder? Do you work out what it is that you're having? Is your response immediate or do you wait? Like, for example, my own life experience has always taught me that when I have something that I know I have to deal with, every time I've tried to avoid dealing with it, it always comes back to bite me in one form or another. 
And I've also learned that some things, unless you're able to withstand whatever discomfort is involved in getting to the next phase of something, you will perpetually seek quick solutions. And you may never solve your problem because your response is always either to avoid it or to find something to take your mind off it. I don't want to talk about it because let's go have some dinner, let's watch a movie. Now, there's nothing wrong with all that stuff because sometimes you do need a mental break and it's okay to take five or 10. But I believe that we live in a culture that goes to that level too quickly. We seek pleasure in a lot of innocuous things and then we wonder why we're still feeling the way we're feeling. Well, sure. I mean, the main result of anxiety is avoidance typically, partly because we've created a society in which the pleasure principle is very high up on the scale of desirables. And safety first is also something that is high up on the scale as well. We've just witnessed that over the last several years. Safety first has put people into a low-grade depression, I believe, overall. This accent on keeping yourself safe and seeking pleasure is exactly what produces avoidance. Avoiding meeting other people because you're afraid you might catch a virus from them. Avoiding talking to Uncle Sam about the problem you have with him because it's not pleasurable having a, a confrontational or angry argument happen. So you avoid it, you walk away from it, and you head towards pleasure, what gives you pleasure and distraction, etc. And when you think about it, avoidance is the antithesis of community. Yes, absolutely. That's right. In community, you at least have a surrounding culture that supports the idea of working out your difficulties with other people inside the community and not running away from them. And many communities have sort of avenues where people can get together and work out their difficulties, work out their problems. Not so much in the modern age, but in older cultures, you'd have tribunals and you'd have elders that would oversee disagreements within the community and things could get worked out in that way. Right. So community is critical, especially these days, to mental health. And because community has been broken for a while now <laughs> and breaking down, that mental health is leading to mental illness, which leads to depression, which leads to suicide, and which leads to cultures that are kind of in decay. And that's where I think we are right now in the world. It's a sad thing, but I think it's real. I think it is too. And I think, though, that recognizing it is the first step to begin to change it. Of course. Of course. So what would you do to help people change? Like if you were running the show, how would you, beyond acknowledging that there's this anxiety in society and this meaninglessness, how would you then try to turn that ship around if you were the, uh, the head honcho? I think it requires a different focus. And now I'm not expert enough or don't have the political experience, but I would say from a common sense perspective, and this is going to sound very cliche, but getting back to basics, understanding our way of life and our lifestyles. I think our lifestyles and the speed with which we're moving and the emphasis, where are we putting our emphasis, addressing these technical issues that are overtaking many of our lives, the anxiety that is being generated 
Where are we being taught to focus? I don't know that we're at a stage where you could do it methodically because of the depth to which we've gone. But like you and I have experienced the last few weeks, if you can imagine something like this, especially for myself, which is more recent, the last few days, you get knocked off your perch and you have to start thinking about or rethinking your way of doing things. And I don't know that there is a way now other than something more drastic, which is not about so much trying to get you there in a logical way, but getting you there by means of not giving you too many alternatives so that you have to rethink what you're doing. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. Just get back to those basics, understanding that we function better together than we do apart. Yeah, I think that's important. Then the other part of it is to somehow address the way that we communicate with each other, because that's another aspect that has decayed and fallen apart in many cases where two people can be talking and they're talking at each other, not to each other. They're not listening to each other. They're using language in different ways from each other in disagreement with what words are generally agreed upon to mean, etc. So we have this state where relationship is the most important connector to meaning, but we can't develop relationship if we can't communicate our feelings, our thoughts, and our ideas in a way that the other can understand. You know what I'm saying? Yes, I do. It all comes back to, in my opinion, simplification and you talked about communication and the way we communicate with each other. All those things have been altered by our lifestyles and technology. Short forms, Google. Uh, who do you contact on the phone? <laughs> <laughs> Siri, Siri. Siri, yeah. <laughs> these things have replaced, they've replaced people, they've replaced teachers, they've replaced libraries, they've replaced all the places that we used to go to for connection. Yeah, and you know what? Also, this little aside with Siri and that laughter, it just put me in mind of the realization that laughter is one of the most important connectors with community as well. If you have a community where there's very little laughter going on, that community is in trouble. Mm -hmm. And so we haven't had a chance to get together and laugh as a community, as society, very much in the last number of years. And with the increased isolation and social media, etc., you can't laugh on social media and laugh with people who are laughing with you. You can put an icon up there of a smiley face. <laughs> but it ain't the same thing at all. So meaning is there, but we have to find the lighter side of life and share that in order to calm the anxiety that people feel. I was just going to say, it's about shared experiences. That's one of the joys in life. That's what you experience in your relationship at home and with your children and with your relatives and your friends and acquaintances. It's about shared experiences. And shared experiences, in many cases, have become pseudo shared experiences. Yeah, virtual. Yes. And so the laughter, the joy, the simple thing of experiencing something together. Now you talk about it from a community aspect in a community in a small village, for example, that would be a constant. There would always be some level of interaction, either out of necessity, out of social behavior. 
there's ritual. There's a certain ritual that people are involved with. Mm-hmm. There are events that people get together for. Yeah, and these rituals and events create a kind of calendar of the year, a kind of rhythm that is consistent. And it's not an uncertain thing, <laughs> the way life seems to be at times. At least you can look forward to, whether it's Christmas or Easter or whatever other ritual in the year, you look forward to that and it happens on a regular basis and you can count on it. And that does a lot to alleviate anxiety as well, is connecting to that rhythm. That's an excellent point, uh, the whole rhythm idea, absolutely. Also, you know, the arts themselves, we've, we've kind of forgotten the arts community through this period and how important the arts are, music, painting, poetry, dance, to giving people a sense of dignity and hope and just a depth of understanding of the human condition, which can take you beyond the surface anxiety that you feel. And yet, how many times have the authorities over the last few years said to us, hey folks, here's something you can do to get through this period. Take in a musical event. Go to a dance performance if you can, if you can get into a group of people there. The arts in themselves have been kind of just swept away in the process. And that's a shame because the arts typically underpin the way a community lives and breathes overall. And that's missing now. Yeah, not only underpin, it's actually the connective tissue. Exactly, exactly. One of the things that really strikes me during this time, and not just with my own experience in talking to you and in other situations that I'm encountering, how we all deal with things so differently. And I find myself going through my mind oftentimes different people that I've known over my life and examine the way they handled life and how I experienced those people. I've been amazed how much of it comes back to me and actually affects my decisions and affects my attitude and how beneficial some of these people in my past have been to my life. <laughs> sure. Your general state of mental health is probably sitting on the shoulders of all of those mentors and inspirational people that you've run into, uh, whether it's your parents or other folks in the community. That's what our mental health sits upon for its stability. And if you take that away from people, you're taking the tripod out from under our mental health. And then you start to drift and you start to find yourself feeling ill mentally and with a malaise. So it's not surprising that we're here now, not just because of COVID, but everything that's transpired since the internet has been kind of the thing. But you know, to find our way out of it is not simple because of the juggernaut that technology and AI and all this social media stuff is. It's very difficult to imagine turning the oil tanker around. But I think we have to be aware of that as leaders in the community and address that and not just act like it's not happening. Right. So let me throw the same question back at you. If you were in charge, so to speak, is there an idea or a concept or a, a position that you would take in even beginning to change things? 
Well, I think I would turn to the population and say, you are responsible for you. Your health is your purview. You need to take control of your own health. And we can make suggestions for you, etc. but it's going to be up to you to remain healthy. We can make recommendations, etc., etc. but you are an individual and you control your own life. We're only here to guide or to put general guidelines in place for the general community well-being, but we're not going to step into your life so much that you just feel controlled and boxed in. So we're going to remove a lot of the rules and regulations that have been in place for hundreds of years and make no more sense. I think that's what I would do. I would remove a lot of the red tape mm -hmm. so that people could feel more inclined to act on their passions in the world. It's one thing I would do anyway. Well, I agree. Uh, taking responsibility for self. I think we've given up a lot of that and we expect things to be fixed for us all the time and not take the personal responsibility. So you can whine about something if it's out of your control, but when you can do something about it and you choose not to because there's a way out, and when you have one person doing it, it's one thing, but when you have millions of people doing that, then this is what you get. <laughs> yeah. Well, we have to keep trying at an individual level in relationship with the people we're in relationship with. And if you have a chance to address groups of people, then, you know, some of these ideas should be shared, etc. But I don't know that I'm all that optimistic that we're going to move out of this depression for a while. Uh, we talked about COVID as a physical thing, but that the mental aspect would last much longer than COVID did. And of course, that's what's happened. I go into the community here and there are people who still will not stand close to you or move away from you because the six foot thing is in their psyche, lodged there like a bad piece of meat <laughs> in your gut. There are people who have to wear masks, even though they're really not doing anything for anybody right now. And that psychological addiction has to be overcome. And so that's going to take a while yet to actually overcome not what COVID has done, what the authorities have done by the way they've treated this so-called pandemic. So there's a lot of work to be done yet to find our way out of our spiritual disheartenment. Mm -hmm. We have to create the world that we want to live in. It's not going to be up to the agencies and the higher-ups to do that. It's up to us to decide how we want to live. Well, I mean, given that we're junior seniors, <laughs> it's actually more up to the younger generations to take control of the reins and create a world that is meaningful for them and to take control of their lives. Mm -hmm. And as usual, we welcome any feedback from people. If you've listened to this podcast, we'd really appreciate hearing from you. Mm -hmm. You can uh, go to the website, thesoulpodcast.com. You can press a button and leave a recorded message or simply send an email or a comment. And uh, we'd really appreciate hearing from you. Absolutely. Send us the answer to the question, what is meaningful for you? What makes life meaningful as an experience for you? And we'll share your thoughts on the air. That's a great way to close this podcast. Harry, I hope you feel better. I know that you're ahead of me in that department. I'm not sure what's going to happen in the next few days, but we managed to get through this together, which was great. And so I bid you adieu. Yes, get some rest. Ciao, Peter. Take care. Ciao. 
The Sill Podcast is a Connecting Dots Media production. Available at thesillpodcast.com. Thank you for your donation to The Sill Podcast.